0: This is AWLS, Podcasts on Wilderness Medicine, from the University of Utah School of Medicine. This is Jake Saunders. I'm a family physician at McKady in Ogden, Utah. I'm going to talk about exertional heat stroke. This should be distinguished from non-exertional or classical heat stroke, that is typically present in elderly or young individuals, though classical heat stroke does have higher mortality. Uh, exertional heat stroke, which we more often see in the back country, can have quite a high mortality as well. Higher if uh, cooling is delayed by more than two hours, and much less if cooling is initiated within 30 minutes. There are a number of risk factors related to heat-related illnesses. The first risk factor is if you've had prior episodes of heat shock or heat illnesses. If you've had it before, you're more likely to have it again. Also dehydration can contribute significantly to this as well. Also that's important in backcountry is lack of acclimatization. Acclimatization usually takes seven to ten days to initiate. It's a little bit longer if you're older or younger Deacclimatization or loss of acclimatization can occur quite rapidly within a week or two. So once you've gotten used to the warm temperatures and you go back to uh, colder temperatures, it doesn't take long for you to get used to that again. Also, individuals that are deconditioned, typically this is seen in athletes in preseason that go from sitting in the classroom or on the couch to exercising rigorously. Also, uh, other things that can predispose you to heat illness, such as uh, being obese, having poor sleep or uh, low activity, a sedentary lifestyle, or having inappropriate clothing for for the weather. Also, uh, some medical conditions can contribute to heat illness as well. Principally, these are like heart disease, uh, skin problems. Also, burns can make this worse. If you're throwing up or have a bad diarrhea, that can cause pretty bad dehydration. Any endocrine abnormalities such as thyroid problems, diabetes, uh, underlying illnesses that can raise your set point, uh, your body temperatures such as fever or having any neurological conditions such as a spinal cord injury can also make it more likely to uh, have a heat illness. Medications can also make heat illness a fair amount worse. Uh, Medications such as beta blockers which cause worse hypotension, uh, anticholinergics, antihistamines, uh, tricyclic antidepressants, these all can raise the sympathetic nervous system and subsequently elevate the temperature worsening heat stroke. Additionally diuretics or anything that can cause dehydration, Uh, this includes caffeine, Uh, can also make uh, heat stroke and the electrolyte abnormalities quite a bit worse such as hypokalemia or hyponatremia. Antipsychotics which can increase dopamine can also make these heat illnesses worse as well. Lithium, salicylates, ventermine are also kind of in this list. Drugs can be particularly hazardous with individuals with heat stroke such as meth or cocaine that also stimulate the central nervous system. Alcohol or opioid withdrawal also tend to increase the temperature, blood pressure, and heart rate that can also make this somewhat worse. Uh, Ecstasy is one that requires special attention. This has multiple methods which can make uh, heat-related illness really quite bad. It uncouples brown fat and can cause tachycardia. And serotonin syndrome. It also has pretty significant hyponatremia causing SIADH and can cause death in some individuals. The Dantastic Mr. Talks and uh, Howard show is a wonderful podcast that in December of 2018 they talked specifically about this and they had a great idea where they would uh, find people with elevated temperatures at raves. Uh, using a drone with like temperature guns or looking at them with IR to be able to find some individuals and take them out of the rave. Now I want to talk to you a little bit about the pathophysiology of heat-related illnesses. So the body temperature as kind of previously noted was 98.6. Recently, there's been shown that uh, average body temperature is a little bit cooler than that. 97.9 or 36.6 degrees Celsius. So hyperthermia Usually results from the body's inability to regulate this consistent temperature, and um, you can't lose heat by the normal methods. So usually the body's typical response to increasing heat is principally peripheral vasodilation, uh, causing the uh, external blood vessels to dilate and losing more uh, heat principally through evaporation. Body has an enormous response in which it can dilate those vessels from about 0.2 liters per minute of blood to 8 liters per minute of blood coursing through the uh, skin and allowing that uh, heat to be lost. Usually that requires significantly increasing the cardiac output and causing some central vasoconstriction as well. Also, uh, the body tends to increase the number and use of sweat glands. This, however, can worsen dehydration and electrolyte loss is kind of principally one of the ways in which your body acclimatizes as well. Finally, the body responds to heat by inhibiting metabolic heat production. This is typically done through uh, decreasing digestion as food and burning off that energy is a um, source of some of our heat as well. In order to understand how to prevent heat-related illnesses, it's really helpful to know how uh, we typically lose heat. Uh, Radiation is a uh, way in which we often lose heat whenever the temperature is less than 68 degrees Fahrenheit or 20 degrees Celsius. This can actually contribute up to 50% of our heat loss as heat moves away from our body into the environment. Conduction is another way we we lose heat. This is usually from direct contact with something that's cooler. Uh, This can be done with water such as immersion on ice or on a cold ground. If any of you have slept outside without a pad you know how cold that ground can uh, sap the, uh, the heat from you, uh, especially at night. However this requires direct contact with the cold material. Another method for heat loss is convection. This relies upon circulating air currents that are going across our skin, usually from wind and loose clothing that allow the heat to be taken away from our skin. A combination of conduction and convection is evaporation as uh, you have sweat on your skin that evaporates and causing a significant amount of heat loss as well. However, this requires principally two things. One is good hydration to allow you to have sweat production, and another is having sufficiently low humidity to allow that uh, sweat to evaporate. In 100% humidity, as people in, in very humid environments can attest, it really has a lot more difficult to stay cool. All right, now we're done with all the science aspects of this, let's get to the specific things that we will see and treat in the backcountry uh, with manifestations of heat-related illnesses. I wanna start off with uh, heat cramps. This is the most mild and most common form of heat illnesses. These are brief, intermittent, involuntary contractions, often in the calves, um, usually after a lot of sweating. This is a result of relative uh, hyponatremia or low sodium in these muscles. also can be somewhat of an overuse injury as well. Some people usually think it's potassium, but uh, potassium isn't often the cause for these heat cramps. And it's actually not always due to heat. Uh, in fact, hockey players can get heat cramps as well, um, so it can be just kind of more exertional related. Treatment for this is uh, pretty straightforward. It requires uh, just oral rehydration, um, but you want to do it with some salt as well. Uh, recommendation is with like a half teaspoon of salt in a liter of water. You can also do like IV fluids, but that's a little more difficult in the back country. Um, typically, these resolve after uh, a brief period of uh, this hyd- rehydration. Next up, I want to talk to you about uh, something else called heat syncope. Uh, this also uh, can go by another name, uh, such as exercise-associated collapse. Uh, I want to tell you a story uh, about a patient that I saw at the end of the Ogden Half Marathon. Uh, This is actually pretty common uh, seeing this at the end of the marathon as people are running, 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 and then they all of a sudden stop at the finish line. They're so tired and they collapse. And we have to be there with uh, wheelchairs uh, ready for them to fall into the wheelchair so they don't fall on the ground and collapse. Uh, Once we get into these wheelchairs, we bring them into our medical tent and we put them in a cool shaded area. We raise their legs above their head and we uh, give them uh, water to rehydrate. They uh, usually respond quite well to this and are feeling better within a few minutes. This whole time, I want to make sure checking. Uh, we're checking vital signs, principally heart rate and blood pressure, and because something else that can happen is uh, postural orthostatic hypotension as well. These are kind of a little bit of uh, mixes uh, between the two of them. These patients usually feel kind of lightheaded, and sometimes a little bit nauseous, kind of dizzy. Uh, occasionally, they'll be yawning, and then there's also the, the syncope or the, uh, the collapse. Uh, Sometimes they'll have a little bit of tonic jerking as well when this happens. So the physiology related to this is you get uh, transient swelling due to uh, the physiologic heat-related vasodilation. That's the natural uh, response to this heat illness uh, that causes swelling in your legs and you get a lot of um, blood and and fluid uh, in your legs. This is typically called heat edema. Um, However, this causes loss of uh, cerebral perfusion often when you stand stationary or rapidly stop after exerting yourself. Um, This is particularly worse usually in individuals that are not acclimatized or if they're elderly or on medications that make this somewhat worse. I remember a particular patient that I was taking care of that had taken her beta blocker that morning and her blood pressure did not respond usually as fast to the uh, rehydration and it took a little bit longer. However, these patients usually recover within about 20, 30 minutes and they're feeling back to normal, able to go on their way. Um, usually this is not due to profound hyperthermia or significant dehydration. It's more just kind of the physiologic response. Next up is uh, heat exhaustion. Uh, for this, I have a personal story. I was also running in a half marathon when in the morning it was really uh, not too warm. It was getting about 80 degrees or so. Uh, it was in the middle of July and there really was not a lot of shade. Uh, we started about 7 o'clock and it was doing okay but by the time 8.30 rolled around we were getting pretty close to the end. Uh, it turns out there was actually not as many volunteers helping pass out water as we had anticipated. And there was quite a few aid stations that were lacking in water and uh, we had to kind of completely skip them entirely and as the temperature rose to above 100 degrees uh, we were running and i all of a sudden felt terrible i felt pretty bad weakness i just couldn't go on i felt like uh every step was like burdensome Um, i uh, really just kind of got so thirsty I was a little bit nauseous i had a headache it's kind of this out-of-body experience as well like i was just like where am i I really had to end up walking during part of this. And that never had happened to me before. But it was just this profound weakness. Couldn't go on. Thankfully, I eventually was able to finish the race. After that, I was able to get rehydrated. I got in the shade. I cooled off. Um, got in the fan. And felt quite a bit better immediately after this. So this kind of... Describes a typical uh, heat exhaustion, usually core temperature is less than 106 uh, or 40.5 Celsius. You have a lot of sweating, but no end organ damage. Sometimes maybe me a little bit of confusion as I kind of fell out of my body, but you know, not ac- acutely confused. This is in contrast to heat injury that causes uh, end organ damage. And then at the further end of the spectrum is uh, heat stroke, which causes an uh, altered level of consciousness. We'll get to that in just a bit. Treatment for this, uh, if your temperature is above 38, involves uh, rapid cooling. You want to get them on loose clothing, in shade, uh, put sopping wet cloths on their body uh, with fans. You don't want to do it so much that they're shivering. Uh, this actually prevents cooling as your body's trying to warm itself back up. You want to rehydrate with a liter or two in the next two to four hours. And avoid anything with too much carbs because carbs will decrease fluid absorption so not too much gatorade uh, water and kind of some electrolyte uh, rich beverages all right now to the real uh, heat illness heat stroke um, so uh, for this i also have a story a few years ago as well in the ogden marathon there was an individual he was found kind of walking around sideways a uh, very confused staff were able to pick him up and they brought him to our medical tent. He was combative, confused, hallucinating, and we immediately checked his temperature and it was over 40 degrees. He was, he was very warm. After we found that out, we grabbed him and put him into our ice baths that we had prepared beforehand. And, um, We had to hold him down. Multiple people were on it was one on each leg and one on each arm and we were holding him in this bath as he thought we were attacking him and and he was very confused this whole time. We wanted to check his temperature but you need to make sure and check the temperature centrally and this is often done by a rectal probe. He did not like that obviously. However after a few minutes of rapid cooling in his ice bath he improved quite significantly uh, very soon and was, became a lot more with it, and he was a lot more tired, uh, but was no longer fighting us after a few minutes. And after that, we were able to transport him to the hospital. The emergency department actually uh, was calling us after that, and they said, hey, why are you sending these, this guy to us? He's, he's, he's just fine right now. He would probably not have been uh, fine if we had not been able to cool him quite as rapidly. Um, and when he had arrived in the emergency department, he was uh, discharged shortly thereafter. However... Uh, these individuals are can be very sick, usually after this significant uh, exertion inflammation can occur which causes uh, hyperperfusion, uh, respiratory alkalosis, metabolic acidosis. This can contribute to DIC, multi-organ failure, hypotension, rhabdo, cerebral and pulmonary edema, arrhythmias, all these things you do not want in the backcountry. So you really want to prevent uh, heat stroke as much as possible. And the best way to do this in the backcountry is get them in cold water as fast as possible. So uh, that is a nice thing is you're often around cold water in rivers or lakes or anything. So as soon as you recognize this you want to submerse them. You want to hold their head though out of the water as these individuals can sometimes pass out with uh, with this heat stroke. So you want to make sure you have good control of their head. If you don't have a rectal probe that's okay. Don't check a peripheral temperature as this can be highly inaccurate. It can be quite elevated on the the face or ears or, um, or arms as those are even more warm due to the vasodilation. And when you're rapidly cooling them, they become uh, very cold quite quickly, more than the central temperature. So if you don't have access to a rectal probe, just put them in the water and they recommend just doing it for 15 to 20 minutes. as That's kind of about the average uh, time it takes for the temperature to drop three to four degrees Celsius, which is typically uh, what it needs in order to get back to normal temperature. You don't want to be using uh, antipyretics, ibuprofen and Tylenol, which are super helpful for fevers. But these aren't so helpful for external uh, hyperthermia, not from the uh, hypothalamus. And they tend to only make organ dysfunction. If you don't have access to a cold body of water, you can try several other different things. You can dump water on them. You can put ice packs in their groin, axilla, neck. You want to cool them to less than 40 degrees as fast as possible, as this does help with their survival. You don't want to get hypothermia, though, and you want to make sure to uh, stop after you get less than 40 degrees. After you've cooled them, you if an individual has had a heat stroke, they need immediate evacuation. Other people that would need evacuation in in this sense would be uh, people with ongoing uh, syncope that just can't get their blood pressure up or with severe heat cramps that aren't resolved with fluids. Typically... With mild heat exhaustion or other symptoms, you're able to return to activity within 24 hours. However, for heat stroke, uh, typically it's not recommended to return to activity until about seven days after, as the body is still recovering from this uh, significant shock to the system. It's important to consider the differential as well for heat stroke. We'll kind of briefly go over this as well classical heat stroke as in, in individuals that cannot get away from a hot source such as elderly individuals or infants or young children, they're just stuck in this hot temperature for a long period of time. As I said before, this is cl- typically uh, with a very high mortality and is often what we see in less austere environments. Also uh, seen more kind of a hospital setting is malignant hyperthermia, which is a genetic condition, autosomal dominant, often after anesthesia. And then you have a uh, neuromoleptic malignant syndrome uh, that is due to antipsychotics. Both of these uh, usually have muscle rigidity different from heat stroke. You also have to consider uh, electrolyte abnormalities, principally hyponatremia. This is often an individual with like drinking only water. They, uh, you know, have the whole race and they're making sure to stay super hydrated, but then they get confused and they stop peeing. These individuals need rapid correction of their sodium and often if this is recognized in an event or in the backcountry you need to start uh, hypertonic saline immediately as delaying this by even a few hours can cause significant cerebral edema and they can die. Uh, Hypoglycemia is also an important one to consider and checking uh, for blood sugars can also be critical as that can kind of manifest in similar ways to uh, heat stroke and then heat strokes in severe cases can Uh, present as a coma as well. And so something to consider with this is cardiac arrest. So you always want to check their uh, vitals to see if they have a pulse or not. And if if not, then initiate CPR. So uh, in summary, heat stroke and uh, heat related illnesses. These are common occurrences in the backcountry and they have a quite high mortality, but you can decrease this mortality quite a bit by treating them and evaluating them rapidly heat cramps you want to rehydrate with electrolyte rich rich fluids heat syncope you want to keep the patient cool with uh, feet elevated and you want to watch their vitals heat exhaustion and heat stroke you want to treat rapidly with cooling and immersion if their temperature is above 38 degrees celsius and then you want to evacuate them once they're cooled i hope you have enjoyed listening and learning more about this topic thank you for listening